We ready for the Word of God? Maybe you're here new to church, new to equippers. We're a church that believes in the Bible. Uh, it's not just a book of ideas. It's not just a book of principles. It's a story about a man. It's a story about Jesus. It's a story about a God that came to earth and died for you and I and gave his life for us. And so as we look to the, 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 the word here at Equippers, we don't, we don't just believe it's a historic book of ideas. We actually believe it is alive. It has the power to transform and change our life. If we're willing to approach it with an expectation, I know God can move. And this is a 10 a.m. service. It's the service I'm told where all the intelligent people come. Uh, we're all the onto it ones, the scholars, and you know, just a disclaimer. I feel like this is a safe environment. Uh, in preparing for this message, I was like, God, give me a message that makes me look smart, because that's my number one goal this morning. Is just to, 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 to uh, just to fake it that I'm intelligent. God, help me out this morning. And in preparation for a sermon, you always want those ones where you unpack that scripture nobody knows, and God drops a revelation that nobody's heard, and, and it just makes you feel good. Uh, but we have come to understand that this whole environment isn't about making me feel good, uh, unfortunately. But in pre- preparation, I just really felt God enlighten a story to my heart. That it's a story many of us would have heard if you're a churchgoer or not. You will, you'll probably come across this story in life, but I want to look at it, but I just ask you, as we look at the story, there's one passage, there's one scripture right at the end of it I want to look at, but I just need to read the story to give you context. But I want you to look at it with a fresh expectation. Is that all right? And there's a moment in scripture in Matthew 14, and it's the moment when Jesus meets the disciples by walking out on the water. And so in Matthew 14, verse 22, we jump straight in. It says, the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 people had just happened. And then he says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, uh, where he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance away from land, being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. He went to his disciples and saw saw them on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. The Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Peter got down from the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when the wind, uh, when he saw the wind, he was so afraid, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately the Lord reached down, caught him. You of little faith, he said, why do you doubt? And when he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And this is what I want to look at this morning. And those that were with him in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. And have you, have you ever in life, you've ever, we'll start here, have you ever like just fallen over, like tripped over, not like fallen over spiritually, that's a little deep to start there, but just, just fallen over physically, you've ever tripped up in life, and have you ever tripped up in public? 
You ever tripped up in power? I remember being a, being a teenager where I grew up. We, we had this, this, this mall, you could call it. Uh, and uh, one, one thing we just to kill time, because uh, we're trying to find ways to entertain ourselves, when it was raining, this mall, someone had decided to tile this big paveway to get into the mall. But when they had tiled it, they didn't consider the rain and water. And so the, the, the tiles on it aren't really uh, a, 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 a very slippery when it gets wet. And uh, we used to sit in the McDonald's because from the McDonald's you can kind of see out onto the courtyard. And just to kill time, we are a little bit insensitive back then. And uh, to kill time, we'd just sit there and we'd watch people get out of their car so confidently. And then they'd go to step on the tiles. Uh, and as soon as they step on the tile, they'd just slide across the ground. And uh, we used to sit there and just watch. And it was funny because it's the same response. And I've done it myself. Everyone would have the same response. It doesn't matter how hurt you are. Like it doesn't matter if your leg's broken or if your ankle's twisted. The first thing you do is people would jump to their feet and go, is it? <laughs> like the first thing they're concerned about was, did anyone see me? Like, like, like if you ever fall over in public, your, your primary concern is, did anyone see me? And then, and then you walk off like it never happened. And then you get around the corner and we'd see people get around the corner and then they'd be like, ah. But then the first, the, the first moment was just this, this sense of, of such confidence. And then the fall. And then they just get up like nothing ever happened. Hurt and all. And I love this story because you got this moment here where Peter, he just starts so confident. He just starts so confident. And then he gets out of the boat and he falls, but he falls publicly in front of his friends. In front of, it's like he, he, the first few walks at the steps on the water would have been like, Peter's the man. After a moment, he starts to sink. And there's this moment where then Jesus takes this moment where, 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 where Peter starts to sink, where Peter starts to get discouraged, where Peter starts to doubt. He starts to shrink, and Jesus lifts him out of the water and brings him back onto the boat. But I love, regardless of how the whole thing happened, I love the full stop moment on this whole story is, is everything that went on from Peter's confidence to Peter's discouragement to God's rescue brought it all to a point, to a moment where they stopped and said, wow, you truly are God. Regardless of what Peter did, it brought the whole moment to this moment where the disciples around him looked at Jesus and went, oh my gosh, you are Jesus. Now, you look at the life of the disciples. I love this moment because, because right before Jesus had done the feeding of the 5,000, and I'm sure there was a moment there where they were like, oh, my gosh, Jesus, you are really Jesus. And then a moment earlier, we see when God, Jesus first called the uh, first miracle was the turning water into wine, and it talks in the Scripture. After Jesus did the miracle, they then believed he was the Son of God. And you watch the journey of disciples over this moment with Jesus, over this three years they go on a journey with him. There's a development in their belief on who Christ was. They were called initially with an uncertainty about who Christ tr truly was, but then he takes them on this three-year journey of just developing their faith and understanding. It's like there was moments where they're like, oh, I believed over here, but I just believe even more over here. Like it's not that I doubted over here. It's just I've got greater revelation over here. And I believe for all of us, the state of any Christian's relationship with God needs to be a state of development. 
Your life needs to be in a state of development. You know, I've been, me and Leela have been married now five years. We've been together for seven. And, and of those five years of marriage, we've worked every day together in the same office. And I'd beg to say that there's no one in the world that knows me more than Leela or I, or knows Leela more than me. I'd say there's people that have known Leela longer. But I'd say in this current state, this current moment of time, I'd know her best. And she had known her, not because of the length that I've known her, but because there's a daily commitment to the relationship. And, and, and you know, the, you, you go home and, you know, taste buds change and things go on. And, and, and you know, Leela's real in tune with my, my current likes and dislikes. I'm quite a fussy eater. And, and, then, and then these people, it's like you go home and, and mother, my mother used to be in touch with my teenage likes and dislikes. And, and then she'd cook things and I'd eat something she thought I didn't like. And she'd say, I thought you didn't like that. Oh, I didn't like that back then, but I like it now. But the one who knows that is the one who walks daily with me. Because, the, the, and I, I'd say our relationship with God, how well you know God isn't really dependent on how long you've known God, but are you walking daily with God? Because you might only know God for six months or a year, but if you're walking daily with Him, you'll know Him closer, you'll know Him more intimately, you'll know Him more than someone who's walked over time. I'd say it's not about the length, but it's the state of it. And I want to say, even in 2020, why don't you commit this year to the development of your daily relationship with Jesus? And you get this moment, you, you watch the disciples' development in their relationship with God. At first, at the call, it kind of, from what I, I, I see, there's kind of five stages in their development. And you see early on, there's a willingness. Jesus turns up to Peter and says, come follow me. Peter didn't really know who Christ was, but there's a willingness in his heart. It starts with a pull in the spirit. I just know I should follow this guy. There's a willingness. But then it goes on to now start to develop a belief. Jesus goes and does all these miracles, and now Peter's like, I believe. But then the relationship goes to another level when, 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 when God calls Peter aside and says, hey, I know what everyone else says about me, but who do you say I am? And there was a confession of his belief. So it went from willingness to an inner belief to a moment where there was a confession. And then from confession, it went to a commitment. Right before Jesus goes on the cross, you had this moment between Peter and Jesus. And Peter's like, I'll give my life for you, Jesus. I'll die for you. There's this deep commitment towards God. But then there's this moment when Jesus dies on the cross and Peter denies Jesus and makes some mistakes. And then Jesus turns back up when he's resurrected. And he brings Peter aside. And he has this moment with Peter where Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? He says, I love you. Do you love me? And he asks him three times, do you love me? And you see this understanding of, of it goes from willingness to belief to confession to commitment. But it all wraps up and ends on this point of love. And the moment Jesus, Peter confesses his love to Christ and his devotion out of his heart towards Christ, his love, Jesus then goes, and now you're ready. It was like the last thing God needed to do with the disciples before he left was make sure there was a love in this thing. It wasn't just a belief. I don't just know it's right. I love you, 
Jesus. And you see this, this dialogue where, where Jesus asks three times, do you love me? Do you, and and I, I don't know the deeper reasons on why Jesus asked three times. Pastor Mark could probably enlighten us around that a little more. I'm not that guy. The, all I know is, is when my wife asks me again about something, it's generally because I didn't really take notice the first time. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm like, i got a real bad thing with time. Like, I, like, I'm really, I get fidgety when I'm late. Like, I don't do well with being late. And um, in the mornings, I'm often like, let's go. We're going to be half an hour early. That's too late. And, uh, and, and so that's generally how, I, how our mornings go. And uh, we're rushing, and sometimes my... My wife wants my opinion for some reason on fashion, and uh, not that I'm qualified in any way, and, uh, but for some reason she thinks I'm helpful. And so often I'll be rushing around getting ready to go, and then she'll, she'll ask, stop and ask me, and she says, does this look all right? And I'm like, yeah, 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 looks good. And then, and then when I'm about to walk out the do- door, she goes, no, does this look all right? And uh, I know she's not asking me a second time because I got the answer wrong, or, or because she needs a deeper affirmation, self-assurance is her top strength. And so I know she's asking me again because my first answer I didn't consider. She's asking me again because my first answer was just out of routine, yeah, you look good. But all she wants me to do is stop and take a moment and go, no, it looks nice. Same answered, but the second time it's more considered. And Jesus is going to Peter, hey, do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Jesus. I love this thing about the scene because how Peter ended up in front of Jesus is he was fishing and he dove out of the boat and he swam. Now, if you've ever been fishing or if you've ever been out on the ocean on a boat, the, the land always seems a lot closer than what it really is. Like sometimes you'll take people out on the boat and they're like, oh, yeah, I reckon I could swim back from here. And it's like, no, you couldn't. <laughs> and because it, the water gives you that perception. And so Peter's dove out and he probably underestimated it. <laughs> and so by the time he actually gets to Jesus, he's drenched wet, he's puffing. Jesus is like, hey, do you love me? He's like, yeah, I love you. She's like, no, 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 no. Do you love me? Yeah, I love it. No, no, I want you to consider. I don't want just verbal routine. I want you to take a moment do you actually love me? And I wonder in 2020 whether we could be better at taking a moment and considering not just the too fast, too slow so we get through them and the end of the worship set, you're like, what songs did we sing again? But taking a moment in worship to consider what we're singing, what we're saying, what we're praising, how we're praying. Because it was the moment Peter confesses this deep love, Jesus goes, now you're ready. Now you're ready. At willingness, I can use you. At belief, it helps build faith. At confession, it builds something inside you. That then you have a commitment to do the will and the work of God. But all of that kind of is tied up by this idea of love. God doesn't want us to do anything out of obligation. He doesn't want us to do anything just because of it. He doesn't want your relationship with him just based on the fact that he is real and that's it. There needs to be a deeper sense of love that drives the passion towards this thing. And I want to say it's so important, especially if you've been on a journey with Jesus for a while, that you maintain your love in this thing. 
that it's not just another Sunday, that it's not just another scripture, it's not just another worship song, it's not just, no, there's a love in this. And we've been together long enough to know, even in our relationship, you gotta be intentional at keeping the love alive. That a marriage isn't based on commitment only, but there is a commitment. But for a marriage to flourish, there needs to be love in it. And your relationship with God will only flourish when there's love in it, that there's a passion in it. I don't want to say, come on, don't lose your love for God. Come on, don't let it be about religion or routine. Let it be about love because it's the love that is the driving motivator in this moment. Do you love me? You know, Peter, 1 Peter 4 verse 8, you you see how Peter got this in his spirit. He even says, above all else, love each other because love covers a multitude of sins. Later, he says, be devoted to love. Colossians tells us that, and above all other virtues, put love at the front. Above all else, Peter got this understanding that love needs to be the driver. That your relationship with God can't be just on commitment, although commitment's important. It can't be just founded on belief. It's got to be motivated by love, driven by love. But what I love about this moment in this story, and what I want to take a moment to talk about this morning, is, is I love the fact that this moment wasn't so much this whole story with Jesus and Peter's walking on the water. It didn't just bring Peter to a greater devotion towards God. It brought those around him to a greater devotion to God. That actually it brought those around Peter's passion, Peter's faith, Peter's step, although his humanity was in the middle of it. And this act of God's grace, actually everyone around him stopped and said, wow, this is Jesus. I don't know about you, but in 2020, I want to live a life that doesn't just draw me closer to God, but would draw those around me closer to God, would draw those around me nearer to who God's called us to be. I I love how Hebrews puts it in Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us consider how we might spur one another. That word consider there, the Luke in the book of Acts uses that same kind of phrase when he's talking about how Abraham saw the burning bush when he's retelling the story in Acts 7, saw the burning bush. It says when Abraham saw the bush, he looked closer. The same word consider is the same word that they use to say look closer. And I love what the writer of Hebrews is saying here because he's saying, hey, I want you to look closer at how you could spur others on. Because we all know we should be the kind of people that lift people, that encourage people, that help people move forward. But sometimes we fail to stop and look closer. And I wonder if 2020, what this community would be like what this place would be like if it was a people that were just committed to saying, I'm committed to looking closer at how I can lift others, how I can move others forward, how I can encourage others, how we can do this thing. When you stop and look closer to consider, you know, it's a time of year really where a lot of consideration takes place. Do I keep sponsoring the gym? Or another year? 
See, it's a moment, it's a time of consideration. I mean, it's second Sunday in the January and most of us have fallen off our resolutions already and but we're considering the type of person I want to be the things I need to do this year we're considering all that sort of stuff but I want to say in all you're considering have you considered others and what you can do for others and how you can help spur others on towards more love and more good deeds in all you're considering have you considered others because that's the call of Hebrews in this moment is to, to consider others, to think for a moment about others. Because it's big to say, because I know it's true in my life, most of my consideration probably comes down to how do I make my life more comfortable? How do I make my life more desirable? How do I improve my life? But the call to the Christian is not just to consider your life, but consider how you can use your life to spur, to stir up, to move on others in your world. And I just want to take a moment, if you, if you look at this, this, this passage, this interaction between, between Peter and Jesus, because Peter lived a life that was devoted to helping spur others on. You go on to see the story of, of Peter's life. He ends up giving his whole life for the cause of trying to help others understand Jesus. But you see in this moment, I, I believe there's some markers in this story that, are, that we can take for ourselves to say in 2020, I want to make sure my life spurs others on, helps others, moves others forward, develops love and worship and the heart of another. And you see in this moment, see, God doesn't, doesn't, doesn't actually need us. It's a humbling thought, but he doesn't. He doesn't really need you, which makes it all the more special with the fact he chooses you. Because he, he, he can do it without you, but he chooses not to. And that's the great thing about the love of Christ towards humanity, because he could do this whole deal without us. But he chooses. Chooses you and I. And you see in this moment how he chooses to use Peter to bring the disciples to a point of worship. It's because when, when Jesus first arrives at the boat, what's the response of the disciples? It's fear. Actually, when they just see Jesus, just Jesus alone, in all his power, they're actually brought afraid. But then the interaction between this powerful being and a human, as people on look and see that take place, they go, oh, there's a powerful God, but look at what he, how he interacts with humanity. That's a God I want. And it ends in worship. It starts with fear. They observe this human interacting with God, and it ends in worship. You see, actually, the, the, the witness of our life is, is not just uh, what God does outside of us, but actually one of the greatest witnesses to our world is how we as believers interact with the God. Because as people look on and just say, hey, that's not, that's not just an all-powerful being, but look at the grace, look at the love, look at the life, look at the joy, look at how he's redeemed, look at how he lifts, look at that. Yeah, I knew he was powerful, but now I know he's loving he's great and so I want to worship and it was what went from fear to worship was the observation of humanity engaging with God not in Peter's perfection but how the grace of Jesus 
reached down to the humanity of Peter and pulled it up, pulled him up, and everyone went, Well, that's that's the God I want to serve. That's the God. And I reckon there's some markers about Peter's life we can learn from. The first thing, if you want to live a life that spurs others on, the first thing Peter did is Peter was passionate. Peter was passionate. And passion is contagious. Like, why, why would anyone want what you've got if you're not even passionate about what you've got? <laughs> so, but you meet somebody that's passionate. You're like, I want what they have. You know, Leela's father's into, into golf. Now, I like sports, but I've never liked golf. But I remember, you know, we'd go down and stay with her family, and, and golf was on the TV all the time, and and at first I was like, oh my gosh, uh, there's a lot of golf, <laughs> but I just watch it anyway because, you know, eventually I need to ask him if I can marry her. And so <laughs> I was like, if two years of golf is going to do it, we're going to do this. And uh, I remember sitting, and after the first, I remember by the end of the first week staying down there, by the end of the week, I was, I was, I was, I wouldn't say I was, I was highly passionate, but I was interested in golf. I was actually concerned about the tournament and who was going to take it out. And I was willing to sit there and watch out of my own willingness because something of his passion and his conversation, the way he took, rubbed off on me. And I want to say, come on, if you want to live a life that spurs and champions and challenge others, one of the greatest things you can do is make sure there's a passion in your world. Come on, make sure there's a passion that is alive. I love, I wonder what the rest of the disciples would have done, you know, as Peter's getting out of the boat. Here goes Peter again. You know, that was Peter by nature. Here goes Peter again. Let's see what happens. But something about Peter's passion was like, man, let's watch this. Let's observe this. Let's look at this. And I want to say as believers, you can't let go of your passion. That's why you gotta, you can't let go of your love because passion comes out of love. Your passion for the church will come out of your love for it. Your passion for God will come out of your love for him. If you're wondering how to get more passionate for God, figure out how you can spend time falling in love with him again. Maybe you've been around for a while and maybe if you're honest, your love has died a bit. Like you're here because that's what we do. I know God is God and I know we God is good all the time. God is, you know, if I throw it out, you know the sayings. And But if you allow the love to be stirred, the passion would come alive. And it's the passion of people that attract. It's the passion in their heart. You know, everyone, everyone, everyone you look at Peter and they say in this, in this moment, for Peter, it wasn't so much about walking on water. For Peter, it was about getting to Jesus. Many people had asked for miracles and Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't give them miracles because it was about the sign. It was about the miracle. But Peter wasn't about the miracle. He was about the miracle giver. And because his passion was at Jesus, Jesus enabled miracles to take place. You see, we can't just be passionate about the things God can do for us. we got to actually be passionate about God himself. And if you're passionate about God himself, he enables us then to access the miracles he's called us to walk in. And they say the eagerness of Peter to just get out of the boat and say, Jesus, I'm coming to you. Jesus, I'm coming for you. 
that just say there was a passion inside his heart. But what I love about this moment is Peter doesn't say, God, if it's you, I'm coming. He says, God, if it's you, tell me to come. Even in his eagerness and his passion, he still knew what it meant to wait for the call of God. And I want to say, even our eagerness and passion and our enthusiasm to get it done and get stuff going still needs to wait on the call of God. And Peter just says, Jesus, I love you, and if it's your will, enable me. And I just wonder what this place would look like, how attractive your life would be to people if there was a passion inside your heart just to say, Jesus, I'm for you. And if it's your will, enable me. And there's a passion inside his heart. The second thing that happens, so there's a passion to get out. But then we know what happens in the story. What Peter's then confronted in his humanity. So what turned the disciples from fear to worship first was passion, Peter's passion, but then it was also Peter's humanity. Peter's humanity enabled God to tell a story in this moment about the goodness of his grace. And I think sometimes we let our humanity and our falling short disqualify us from thinking God could really use us. Because if God could really use me, he, he, I wouldn't have this or I'd be like that or I'd be better. But I love the story of Peter as God used Peter's tripping over as an instrument to display his love and his power and his ability. The things you struggle with, the falling shorts in your life, your humanity doesn't disqualify you. But when your humanity is handed over to God, God can take your humanity and embrace it with his grace. And when the embrace of the grace comes, he's able to turn it into a story that inspires others. Everyone loves an underdog story because it's something we connect with. Like, no one loves the story where it's just like, oh, they were the best, and then they were awesome, and, and, and then they won. It was, like, it was like Golden State for the last however long. Warriors, it was like everyone got sick of the NBA because of them. Now it's like the NBA's found life. Why? Because, because it was just a story of an awesome team that did awesome things and won. And no one can connect with that. Maybe some of you, you're like, yeah, I'm awesome. I do awesome things. The rest of us who are grounded in our humanity, don't worry, it will come. <laughs> the rest of us, we connect with the understanding that, hey, man, if God can use him, surely God can use me. You know, I love this, the fact of the disciples is sometimes we think our ordinary nature disqualifies us. That actually I need like the X factor, I need the superstar gift to do something great for God. But when people would look at the disciples in the starting of the early church, what amazed them the most is that they were ordinary. And it was actually their ordinary nature that was the most mobilizing factor to the early church. Because people would look at the disciples and say, but he's just a fisherman. 
And if God can do it with a fisherman, he can do it with me. Your humanity, your weakness, the things you're working through aren't just the things that disqualify you. But if you would hand them over to God, God can use it as a weapon to reach others and bring others in. If you would lay it at his feet and enable his grace. And I just feel there's a bunch of people, it's like you've disqualified yourself because you're aware of your humanity. But if you would just enable the grace of God to come into your life, God could take your life and amaze people with it. But it comes down to a point of turning your life over to His grace. Maybe you tried leading an e-group once before. Aisha stands up and is like, eight years, we're doing it. I'm like, after eight weeks, I was over. <laughs> and, and maybe your e-group failed. You're like, oh, wow, ego's not my thing. But if you'd actually just allow grace of God to come in and do a work in that space, he could redeem you through his strength. And then people could look at your life and go, well, if he can lead an ego, surely I could lead an ego. Surely I could. Why? It's not your superstar nature. It's not the finished result that's inspiring it's the journey that we get to see. I want to say, if you want to be somebody that is able to take people on a, on a path that draws them closer to God, you got to be willing to open people to your journey because it's actually your journey that's going to inspire. It's your journey that's going to speak. Your passion will cause you to get out, but you got to be open and willing to take some people on the journey with you and allow your journey, allow your weakness, allow your falling short. When you turn it over to the grace of God, let it become a testimony that draws others closer to God. And just the last thing is it went from Peter's passion to Peter's humanity, but it just ended on God. God's grace. It just ended on God's grace. It was God's grace to reach down and grab Peter, and everyone went, man, that's a God I don't want to just be afraid of. That's a God I want to love. A God I want to love. You know, it's talked about in, in a commentary that um, Peter should have been out of swim. He was a fisherman. It was, it was believed that Peter should have been out of swim. But the Bible talks about how Peter was sinking not swimming, sinking. Whereas Peter naturally in his own strength should have been able to swim. And some commentaries believe that Jesus actually enabled Peter to sink. He actually caused Peter to not be able to fulfill this moment in his own strength. Because in his sinking, Peter realized I'm out of my, I'm over my head. I'm out, I'm, I'm out of control here. And his only response in that moment was to reach to the grace of God. And we spend so much time just trying to swim, just trying to keep afloat, just trying to live a life that I can maintain and manage. But there's sometimes in life where it's like you gotta get you, you gotta get out beyond yourself. You gotta get out of comfort. You gotta put your life into a point, into a place, into an environment that pushes you out of what you can kind of get your head around. Because it's only in that space where you can reach out and take hold of the grace of God that will lift you, that would pull you out of it. And it was the grace of God that comes in. And it was the demonstration of the grace of God 
on Peter's life that turned people to worship. And when Peter got back in the boat, you don't read everyone saying, well done, Peter, you're the man. Everyone just forgot about Peter and the attention went on to Jesus. So Peter just walked on water. Well, you never hear any songs about that. It's all Jesus. <laughs> but that's the story if you're willing. If you're willing to live a life that spurs others on. The story of your life needs to tell about God's grace, not your goodness, not your talent, not your gift, not your ability, not what you did and how you made it through. Sometimes it's like we go through situations and God brings us through and then people are like, oh, you know, how, how did you get through that? And they're like, you know, I just really worked hard. And I got, no, it's the grace of God enabled you to get through it. And sometimes we're more willing to just share about our effort rather than God's grace. But if we want to be a people that are going to be able to spur others on, we got to get a noisier, we got to get louder about the testimony of God's grace in our life because it's God's grace. And the fact is that Peter is forgotten about at the end of the story, but God's grace is then worshiped. God's love is worshiped. And the end result of our life it's not that I would just have people accolades to myself, but that my life would inspire others to worship God, to worship God. And I just asked the team to come out as we finish this morning. You know, you, ha you have this moment where, where Peter's given his life to spur others on, to spur others on. And we come to a, to a point where there's the realization that to spur people on, you, you actually need to do life with people. You actually need to bring people into your world. The writer of Hebrews says, consider how we may spur one another. Just not even one way. I don't want to just ask you the question of how are you going to commit to spurring others? How are you going to look closely? How are you going to look closer at how you can stir other people up towards love? I also, you need to answer the question in 2020, Who's going to stir you up? Who are you giving permission right now to stir? There's nothing more annoying than a sibling that knows how to stir you up. There's nothing more annoying. And siblings are the best at it. They know how to just in a moment push on that button that stirs you towards anger. We're not talking about that. But who in your world are you going to enable, give permission, position your life around to spur you on? Because you're never going to reach the full potential what God has on your life if you don't have people in your world that are going to challenge you to move forward. It's going to take a spurring on. Your life needs to spur others, but you need to have people in your world that you give permission in 2020, stir my life, stir my life. And it's uncomfortable. It's a lot more comfortable to sit on the couch on a Tuesday night and just do my own thing than go to e-group and have to talk about awkward things. It's a, it's, a, it's a lot more comfortable to stay where you are. You'll have a comfortable 2020 staying where you are. There you go. But we don't desire comfort. Because if you're not, here's the deal. If you embrace the comfort 
of staying where you are, you're eventually going to have to face the discomfort or the dissatisfaction of realizing you never really move forward. And I'd rather embrace discomfort here so I don't have to face the satisfaction over here. You need to embrace this year the discomfort of growth, the discomfort of being spurred on, of being moved forward, of being challenged. But you actually got to give people permission to come into your world and say, hey, you're better than that. You're better than that. Or you haven't grown. Why are you still spending your finances as a 25-year-old like you did as a 14-year-old? You're better than that. Why, why, why are you still gossiping? You're, you're, you're older now. Why is that? You need people. But that's uncomfortable. But if you'd embrace the discomfort and the challenge here, you'll be able to take hold of the fulfillment over here of knowing your life has moved forward, knowing that the call of God has come alive in your life. I don't know about you, but it's 2020. I'm saying, let me embrace the discomfort. Let me embrace the dis- Let me embrace the growth. Let me embrace the stretch. Let me embrace, embrace, embrace. Come on, 20, 20, let's embrace.